All right. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm one of the pastors who serve with family and small groups. We want to welcome you to our worship. On this rainy day, we're so glad you could be here with us. If you're joining us for the first time, we're actually continuing a series called Why? And uh, uh, the preaching team has been preparing messages and answering some of the significant things that we do as a church. And this Sunday, we're going to be addressing the question, why missions? If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35 to 38. So if you have your digital device or if you actually have a book, please open it to Matthew 9, starting at verse 35. Trust that you found it. It'll also be projected over screen. This is the reading of God's word from Matthew five, starting at verse uh, Matthew nine, starting at verse thirty-five to thirty-eight. It says, "And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples." The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Amen. William Carey uh, is, is known as the modern father of missions. William Carey was a missionary to India many years ago uh, in the 1700s, and as he went one of his first messages to his community was that missions isn't just for missionaries, it's for the entire church. And part of his messages and preaching inspired many other missionaries to go forth. And one of the quotes that he's been well known for is a quote that you might have heard. It said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. This Godly man served in India for many, many years before he actually had one convert. And his faithfulness to the work of being present, uh, being uh, a very gospel presentation in his own life before it came through his lips was a very significant ministry. But another quote that he said that caught my attention that I'd love to share with you is this. William Carey said, to belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations with him. To belong to Jesus is to embrace the nations with him. Why? There's something about the heart of our Lord and Savior that doesn't just stop with the individual, but it takes us globally. For God so loved the world, and not just one person in it. And a lot of times when we think about the word missions, we think about something far away. For many of us, maybe we still have that mentality that missions is some jungle somewhere in another part of the world. Or maybe for some of us who've been in the church for a while, missions is something we do during the summer. It's a seasonal event. It's part of the annual things of uh, the ministry and events that we do at church, and missions is just something we do during the summer, and it's not. It's actually something that happens year-round. We also think that missions is for those people who have the time and energy to do so, like college and young adults. And I know for a lot of families, uh, couples with children, we resign to the fact that maybe that's just for when we were younger. And I want to say to you, that's not true as well. Missions is sometimes perceived as that work or that ministry for the 
uh, super-Christians or the elite Christians, the people we call missionaries. We put them in this elevated title of thinking that they're missionaries and I'm just an average Christian. And I want you to understand, if you go back and look at Scripture and just listen carefully to what Jesus says with his disciples, that there's only really the word disciple. And that Christians just simply means that we're followers of Christ. And what missionaries do is simply do what we do here, except in another language and culture. Not to diminish the work that they do, as costly and wonderful as it is, but it's really uh, about real people, average folks like you and I, who love him and are willing to follow him to the ends of the earth. The work of missions has been going on uh, for many centuries. It is given to his followers, and the scope is global. But Christianity here in Western culture has become a personal experience. And for many, the gospel really is about salvation and about going to heaven. And once we've secured that, we feel like maybe the rest is just optional. As long as I know Jesus and I'm going to heaven, it's all good. That's the most important thing. It is a great message and a significant call to trust in Jesus Christ. But once we trust in him, what remains is a task that has been given and commissioned to his disciples. One of the things that I would ask myself is, why are we still here? If salvation was the end-all, be-all to what God was intending to do, then the moment we believed in Jesus Christ, we should have just ascended to glory, right? Like everyone should have just said, I believe in Jesus Christ, and just be taken to heaven. But we're still here. In fact, one of the most interesting things about scripture is that he says to his disciples in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you and I will be with you to the end of the age. And what did he do next? He left. He left and he left his disciples here on earth. And if you wonder what what is it that we should be busy about, sure, worship is important and all the various things that we do. And I want us to understand that as we look at missions, I want us to think about how we view our life. A lot of times when we think about our life, we're thinking about the very practical things that stand before us. For some college students, it's about graduation. It's about grad school. It's about the next steps in the journey of finding a career. For some of us, it's finding (laughs) Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And for them, the harvest is speaking about the ladies (laughs) or the men. (laughs) And it's not. Um, But I understand, and that's something that's significant in people's life, to find someone true love. I know there are also others who are thinking about the many years that you could live. When I turned 45 many years ago... (laughs) My son wrote me an interesting birthday card. He said, happy birthday, dad. I think you're living, you're just a little more than half past what you will live. (laughs) And I was like, thank you. (laughs) Um, And then some of us recently have things called bucket lists, things that we'd love to do before we leave this good life. I want to encourage you that all those things are a lot of fun and wonderful When we ask, why are we still here as Christians? I hope missions becomes a significant part. It may be even very central part because it involves the heart of our Savior and the work that he left for his church to do. 
Missions is beneficial because through the work of missions, we begin to see the world through his eyes. We begin to feel the very compassion of our Lord and Redeemer. And I want to tell you that although missions is costly and it is not comfortable, it is one of the most wonderful and powerful ways that I have encountered my Jesus in very personal ways. And so this text that we read in Matthew 9 I want us to think and answer the question, why missions? And and the text helps us to answer it in three different answers. The first one is, when we ask why missions, the first thought that we learn from this text is that it's because Jesus is both the good shepherd and the Lord of the harvest. In this story, we find that as Jesus looks out into the crowds, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. They're helpless, they're harassed, And what he means by that is there are a lot of people who were straggling along and following the religious leaders of their day. And and they're trying so hard to be good like the Pharisees, but they're just unable. And what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law during their time did, didn't make it any easier. In fact, they kept piling on more and more laws upon the laws of God created by men. And so being right with God became a very heavy duty to which they could not fulfill. And you saw the crowds and you could just see the hopelessness in their eyes. In this passage, we see both aspects, the balanced perspective of who God is and who Christ is. That Jesus is both the compassionate shepherd as well as the second illustration of the word of harvest, the Lord of the harvest. That there's this compassionate shepherd but there's also the harvest, the Lord of the harvest who will one day return. The scripture tells us and presents Jesus in two comings or two advents. The first advent was him coming as a baby, born in a manger. He came to be the savior of the world, to take away the sins of his people. He dies on a cross, and after three days he rises again from the dead, he walks on earth in his resurrected form for over 40 days, giving proof to eyewitnesses to be as his witnesses upon his departure. And then after he left, he promises that he would return. But when he returns in his second advent, he does not come as a weak child or a weak servant. He comes as the reigning king, the Lord of the harvest, when the harvest is finally complete. Missions reminds us of something very uncomfortable that ought not to be left out when we present and think about the gospel of Christ. For many of us, when we think about being saved or we share the gospel, we say, God loves you and he wants to save you. And the important question is, save me from what? You see, the power of God's love and the power of the cross is only as beautiful as the backdrop from which it is painted of. The backdrop of the cross and God's amazing and compassionate grace is in the backdrop of his holiness, his justice, and his judgment. The reality is that, as as John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world, it speaks of both, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And I know for all of us, I I wish that hell, hell wasn't real. I wish that the judgment day wasn't real. I wish maybe it would just be so simple if God just said, you know what? Jesus died, everyone's forgiven, let's all go to heaven. But that's not what it is. 
The reality is God cannot deny both his holiness as well as his merciful and kindness. That God is both. And although we wish God was just one, he isn't, he's both. And because he is both the good shepherd and the Lord of the harvest, the work of missions becomes a significant work that he left for his disciples to do. When we think about the things that the church does, you take, for example, what we do every week on a Sunday, worship. What a significant time of telling God how much we love him and are thankful for him. It's an incredible time. And by the way, church, I'm, I'm gonna keep saying this because our culture tends to think that Sunday is about us, but it's not, it's about him. We've not come to receive worship, we've come to give worship. And so worship here sometimes can be a little boring or some people fall asleep and you should, you'd be amazed what pastors see. You know, you can't see everyone, but we do. And we see all the people from people texting to people falling asleep. And literally we call it the double barrel nostrils where we just see someone just knocked out and all we see is their nostrils. And, um, and I'm so glad that you could sleep and that our, our message is so comforting and soothing that you could fall asleep. But in glory, I promise you, it will not be boring. Because it will be in the presence of God Almighty, and I believe worship will comprise of one word, and that word will be, wow. Amazing. Fellowship, oh, it will be perfect in glory. The very people you can't stand at church will become the most beautiful, lovable people in glory, because they'll be perfected. And so fellowship is, is, is fragmented, it's not perfect, it's sometimes based upon preferences and relationships and, and things that we enjoy. But in glory, it will be without those constraints. Fellowship will be powerful, it will be all about what God did and all of us have the common ground that we're not there for ethnicity or age or any of those things or even interest, it's because of Christ. And so our fellowship will be perfect. But there's one thing that church does today that will not go with us to glory, and that is to present the gospel. That is for this time only. And that's why the work of missions and evangelism is the most urgent thing that we do, because it's not going to be taken with us in glory. And so this good shepherd, he looks out and he sees people and he, and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And he comes to remedy the soul and then our bodies, because when he comes back in glory, we will receive a perfect body like he did when he rose again. And what's interesting is after Jesus tells his disciples to pray, he sends them out. Chapter 10 is, a, is a, an account of how Jesus sends out his disciples into the very harvest field that he told them to pray about. And so the first thing that we see when we ask why missions, we understand who God is. Missions helps us to understand the heart of God in that he is both the compassionate shepherd as well as the righteous judge, the Lord of the harvest. Secondly, when we ask why missions, it's because we get to know the heart of our Savior. In this passage that we've read, it says, it describes the beginning of Christ's ministry and his ministry to the Galilean area. And what it does is it tells us that he visited and he went throughout the cities and villages. 
And if you've ever seen those Jesus films or movies about his life, a lot of times the villages that you see are portrayed seem like maybe 50, 80, 100 people. But Josephus, a Jewish historian, writes that even the small villages were comprised of at least 15,000 people. And that in this area of the Galilean region, which is an area of about 70 miles by 40 miles, Josephus writes that there were hundreds and thousands of people gathered in those villages and cities. And when he went there, he went to teach in their synagogues. And many of us don't know what a synagogue is, but it's, it was a, a place of Jewish assembly. And it was a place where they would worship. It was where they had town hall meetings. It was a courthouse. And it was even a school for the boys in the Jewish community. It was where they would learn theology and learn about the commentary, the Talmud of the Old Testament of Moses. And as, as he went there, he would go and speak and it says that he proclaimed or he preached about the good news of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus preached about the kingdom, he wasn't just speaking about references of the Old Testament. He was shedding light to its fulfillment and how it is being fulfilled in their very eyes. The kingdom referred to the reign and the authority of God that had come to restore lives and to set captives free. And this task of teaching and preaching the word of God continues as a commissioned work of the local church. The commissioned ministers of the gospel are here to proclaim and teach the people of God the very truth of the kingdom of God and the gospel of which Christ did, of which his heart beats through. But he also felt compassion. And it tells us who mattered to Jesus. The word felt compassion for them, literally meant and referred to the intestines or the bowels. In our Western culture, we talk about emotions through the heart. Oh, you know, and my heart is just fluttering. I feel so in love. Well, in the Middle Eastern culture, their expression of emotion was through the bowels and through the intestine area. And that sounds odd to us, but it's partly because if you think of having such a stressful day, sometimes you have an upset stomach or you have an ulcer. And sometimes the emotion seems to affect that area of the body. Well, in, this, in the understanding of what Jesus felt, it wasn't just he looked out at the masses of people and he just said, oh, they seem to be struggling. That's not what he was feeling. In fact, this idea of compassion that he felt in his bowels is translated that he was deeply moved in spirit and it carries the idea of a physical as well as emotional and spiritual anguish. There was an anguish that he felt that affected even to his body. And as we, as we hear him speak about not just what he saw, not just what he did, but what he felt, that I want you to understand that here, one of the things that missions engages us to do and is to see the world through his eyes, to participate in the ministry that he was doing, and maybe even sometimes to feel a little bit about what he felt. You know, a lot of times missions is something that when we think about it, we think about how we want to go and bless people. In the first world country like the United States, we feel so blessed to live in such privileges of the first world, like all the comforts, internet, uh, the roads are amazing and they're not bumpy. Um, 
cars, technology, all the different things that we have. And a lot of times we tend to think that when we go to third world countries or we go to second world countries that we're going there to bless them and to give them something. But the reality is if you've ever gone on a mission trip and you went out there uh, and you thought that you went to go give something, you often came back with the testimony that, man, I felt more blessed than I was trying to bless people. That every day you would come back from trying to give to people and you felt like you received more than you gave. This is countless testimonies I've heard throughout uh, my journeys throughout the various countries. And and there was a time when I was reading scripture and and I stumbled upon Isaiah 43. And Isaiah 43.10 says this. I want you to listen to what the Lord says. He says, You are my witnesses to Israel, declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. And I was sitting there pausing, and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. We are his, Israel was his witnesses to the nations, and as they were his witnesses, it was so that they would know and believe in him that the people who were actually to be his witnesses were the very ones who would grow to know more about who he is and to believe him even that much more. When I started out in ministry, missions was something I absolutely did not want to be a part of. I told my uh, older brothers in the Lord in ministry, I said, you know what? I want to serve in campus ministry. I don't want to go to the mission trips. They said, you have to. I'm like, no, I don't want to. You have to. Why? Because this is what we're about. I'm like, but I don't want to. (laughs) And uh, for many people, perhaps if you were like I I was during those times, I just thought a lot of different options as opposed to going out there and just being in the heat and suffering or whatever. I just thought, why doesn't God just open up the clouds and then a loudspeaker says, yo, I'm here (laughs) and I'm going to come soon. So be ready. Yeah? And why not, right? He sent angels. He sent a donkey to speak. I mean, that would be kind of like, whoa, why send us? Somewhere in the midst of all this, I thought of trying to illustrate this, and I, and I wanted to illustrate it through one of my favorite movies when I was growing up. It was The Karate Kid. The 1984 classic movie of Pat Morita and Ralph Macchio. The classic scene of this underdog fighter is when he gets bullied and beat up and he asks, uh, he asks Mr. Miyagi if he would teach him how to fight and defend himself. And he says, I will. He goes, but, but first you must wash my cars. And he goes, okay. You have to do everything I say. Okay. So this is how I want you to put on wax. I want you to wax on and with the other hand I want you to wax off. Everyone knows, wax on, wax off, right? He does this for all the cars in his lot. And he gets so frustrated, and he's like, why do I have to keep washing these cars? I don't understand what you're doing. And then finally, he throws a punch, and he, shows, he says, show me, wax on. And he throws a punch, and he blocks. He throws another punch, wax off. And he throws another punch, and he blocks. And he learns that during this whole time, he wasn't just waxing cars. He was actually learning self-defense. Well, in a like way, what's so interesting is that going out to missions seems like such a labor. But I want to say to you that it's not just going out there and doing hard work or eating food you don't like or or being in a place that seems too humid. 
there's something of a tremendous gift that God wants to give to his people if we would venture out. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were here on earth today, where would, what do you think he would be? Where do you think he would be? And then ask yourself, Lord, wherever you would want to be, may I be there as well. Missions is a great opportunity for, for us to begin to understand and sense and see the world through his eyes. It's not just about nations or peoples or languages. You begin to see the people like people without a shepherd. There was a time when I was in India. The first experience was really difficult. I didn't want to return. I didn't like the culture. I didn't like the food. I didn't like anything about my entire trip. 17 years later, as I swore I would never go back, God sent me again. This time as I returned, I saw something very different. I remember we were in the tea gardens. The tea gardens are uh, just fields where they grow tea leaves. And after the British colonies had left, uh, they left these gardens to the people to manage. Unfortunately, it fell into the hands of very rich folks who then hired the local people and almost enslaved labor would pay them chump change to pick the tea gardens in the field. And within these communities of tea garden leaf pickers, there are small churches that are established by the missionaries that we met. And we got a chance to visit some of these churches, and I got a chance to sit there while our team uh, from the church was presenting songs and body worship and all that. And as I was preparing to give a message, I was sitting there in the corner, and I saw these children and adults just sitting there, and the kids were just gleaming like as if they were in Disneyland. (laughs) You know, they were so happy that Americans were there to share something with them. And they were singing and they were jumping up and down and we were handing out candy. I mean, it was like Santa Claus. And as I was in the corner, you know what I heard? I just just heard or felt, I love them. And I want you to tell them about me. Can I tell you, I was an absolute mess. I sat there, and in tears, I didn't know how I was going to prepare to give a message, because it wasn't just the compassion that I saw for the children and for the adults, but I realized that that was me, that I was one of those children, so shy, so insecure, struggling with my own identity, not knowing quite who I am, parents working all the time. And I go to church and I had no idea, not deeply, who Jesus was. And I remember when he called me to serve him as a a pastor in ministry, I just thought, who, me? And there's so much of his love and heart that I hope that we can begin to see that it's just waiting for you to see and experience once you go and join him in this good work. So why missions? Because he's a good shepherd. He's also Lord of the harvest. Secondly, because we get a chance to know his heart, the heart of our Savior. But thirdly, why missions? Because God wants you more than he wants your money. (laughs) Yes, I said that. Especially in light of last week, as Pastor Harold wonderfully gave a message on generosity. Giving is a wonderful reflection of our faith. And it's not to say that giving is undesired, but it is 
Not all that is necessary. In fact, it's not the primary thing that's necessary. In verse 37, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. He's looking at the masses of people and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then he instructs his disciples to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Oftentimes when we think of missions and support, we think of sending money. We want to send money or uh, certain things uh, to the missionaries. And one of the things that I discovered as I went to visit missionaries, and one of the common questions I would ask every missionary when I visited them is, what is it you need most? And I expected that they would say they needed money and resources because they want to build schools and hospitals and seminaries and, and dormitories and all the different tools of witnessing and evangelism that you would think a missionary would need. And as they're in building projects and they're facing all kinds of challenges with getting, uh, getting the cities to approve these buildings, I, 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 would thought, I thought they would need money. But you know what? Almost unanimously, the missionaries said one response. They said, we need more workers. We need more faithful workers out here. What's interesting is through the years I've met missionaries who are great at fundraising, and even if they're not, there's always some way that God seems to provide through the generosity of his church that they're able to build these buildings, they're able to build these projects in schools and hospitals. But the hardest thing is sometimes these missionaries feel that they're doing this labor alone or in a small team. And one of the things that is constantly needed and desired is more workers and laborers in the field. This is his plan. This is not our plan. And this is a privilege to go and participate and to become co-laborers with God in the work that he does. And as we get to participate, I want you to understand, it's not that God doesn't want our, our, our support and our generosity. It's just that that's not the end all to it. There's something much more that he wants to gift you and, and he wants you to see and experience it's something, uh, there's an article that was written by a, a doctor, a physician named Dr. Paul Brand. And he spent many years of his medical profession working among lepers. And he writes in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, he writes this. He says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the eyes of the blind, the skin of the person with leprosy, and the legs of the cripple. I have sometimes wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people he healed, many of whom must have been unattractive, obviously diseased, unsanitary, smelly. And with his power, he could easily have waved a magic wand, but he chose not to. Jesus' mission was not chiefly a crusade against disease, but rather a ministry to individual people, some of whom happened to have a disease. He wanted those people, one by one, to feel his love and warmth, and his full identification with them. Jesus knew he could not re readily demonstrate love to a crowd, for love usually involves touch. Jesus came to live among us. He didn't just send a letter. He didn't just send an angel. He didn't send an email. He didn't send a text. He came himself. 
I want you to understand there's, the work of missions is not going to be more enhanced or better just because of technology. It's power and the beauty and the ministry is done by God's people. So what can we do? I have three suggestions. One, pray for more workers and pray for current workers. As we pray, I want us to understand that prayer in ministry always precedes work. That we don't just rush into ministry because that means that if we do things, we're doing things by our own power, but prayer, preceding the work with prayer reminds us that it's his work and his ministry. It's by his power and his spirit, not mine. And it's not because God doesn't know. We don't pray because God goes, oh yeah, there's some stuff that needs to be done. And it's not because he doesn't care. He does see the need. And he, do, he knows exactly what the need is. But he invites us to become co-laborers and he wants us to see and know and believe. And prayer aligns us with his heart and it gives us the privilege to give glory to God for what he's done because we realize very quickly that we fall short all the time, both in ability and in resources. I wonder what would happen if at our church there would be pockets of groups of friends or families or small groups who would simply pray a prayer, God, where do you want us to go? Would you dare pray that? Would you pray and say, God, where would you want us to go? You know, one of the things that is, is so significant as we think about the application of missions is not just about resources so, and, and prayer, but it's about going. So this first thing is pray and pray for our missionaries and pray for more people to go out. I want you to know, by the way, if you pray, like the, the disciple, he told the disciples, he sends you out. <laughs> so if you pray, be ready to go. Which is the second thing, give and go. In basketball, there's a play called give and go. You give the basketball, and you don't just stand there. You go to the basket, and the ball comes back to you, and you do a layup. The give and go is a significant reality of missions. It's not just giving as contributors, but it's participating in the work that he does. I want to ask if some of us would consider that perhaps one of the most amazing vacation trips you might be able to take, and not because missions is a vacation, but I want you to imagine if you could take some of those time and resources not to go to a four-star, five-star hotel in a country that is not necessarily a, a first-world country, but if you could go and maybe tell the missionary, like, hey, we would love to visit you for like a week. We would love to babysit your kids. We'd love to eat the, the, the foods that are there. We'd love to stay with you if it's possible. If not, we could stay somewhere close by. Would you show us that country? And what would that be like? What an amazing experience that would be to love on the missionaries, to bring them some goodies from America, and then to stay with them and see and smell and taste what the country's really like and not just stay in a four-star hotel. To give and go. And I want us to understand that God wants all of us, not just a portion or our, just simply our income. And thirdly, as we do this, I, I want us to understand that missions is at the heart of serving. It's, it's the heart of our Redeemer where he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. 
It is an opportunity for us to grow in a heart that resembles our Lord, serving one another daily, serving at home, serving on summer, summer vacations for college students or teachers, volunteering at reaching our community on every Saturday morning with students. And as we think about the, the, the heart of what's developed, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Harold gave a message and he asked a question. He said, what if you knew that the person you're about to marry was going to cheat, lie, and hurt you? Would you still have married them? And he said, you know, Jesus married us knowing that we would sin and falter. And I was sitting there just like many of us. We were like powerfully moved. We we're like, oh my gosh, that is so true. That is so awesome. I feel so loved. Today, I also want you to understand, not only did he see that we were going to falter and be imperfect, but I also want you to know that he saw the potential of what his disciples, these ragtag fishermen, can become. He saw what these men who were not very esteemed in their culture would finally become in the kingdom of God. That average folks who do average things can do great things for a great God. Don't get me wrong. The path of missions is the path of the cross. It will include hardship, sacrifice, and maybe even suffering, and for some, even death. We've been praying for missionaries in China and Chengdu, and the people who have given their freedom up to still stay faithful to the gospel and their faithfulness to Christ. And I was reminded of what Jesus said in John 12 when he said, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He loves us. And he loved us and it took him to the cross. And our love for him will take us around the world and back if we would just walk with him. Someone once said, let me look to the crowd as my Savior did till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me view with pity the wandering sheep and love them for the love of him. There's nothing more beautiful and nothing more reflective of the gospel than when we say, thank you for the life you've given, and may I have the privilege to participate in the life that you still want to give to others. That's the work of the church, the entire church. Everyone, including our children, they're called to join our Redeemer in a wonderful work that takes us around the world. Would you join? Would you pray? Would you go? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the privilege of what missions can be for each one of us. We thank you that Christ Central loves the work of preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And I pray that it would not stop in Southern California. 
that we wouldn't just support the missionaries in Japan or in China or in North Korea or in Indonesia or anywhere else that we would send missionaries, that we would continue to do so. We would participate, we would join, and maybe we would even go for a lifetime. Whatever we do, Lord, I pray that our hearts would continue to beat with yours for the nations that you love. In Christ's name I pray, amen.